Our scripture today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Please have a seat. How's it going? Welcome to Desert Breeze. Um, also, welcome all those who are on YouTube Live this morning. I think we got the, there's a little sound thing, and I think they fixed it, so hopefully you can hear me. Um, this week, I get the pleasure of talking to you about legalism. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> when, you, when, you first, when it was first uh, proposed to me, legalism, I'm like, ah, I'm like, okay, like, that following rules but not following rules and, and everything that has to do with that. And, and by default, just, you know, about me, it's like, I, I like rules. Rules are, they kind of give us, um, you know, know what to expect. Uh, but before we jump in, uh, I want to give you kind of a shot of how we got to where we are this morning. So we're in, we're in our seventh week of this series in Colossians. And, and the big idea of Colossians is that, that Paul's laying out is Christ's preeminence. Christ's, his, the fact that he surpasses all others. This, his superiority, his sufficiency for our lives, and the satisfaction that we can find in him. In this first part of the series where we went through, we, we, Paul was declaring the preeminence. Where we, we talked about how this, this preeminence can, can give us life change, this thriving Finding the meaning of life. And see, it almost seems like it's too good to be true. And that there is no greater adventure. This call to this life. This week, or starting last week, this week and the next, we're talking about these warnings that, he, that Paul has for us. Things that are going to be, that threaten whether or not we're, we're, he calls us to it. And then the things that would block us from that life. Last week, and then, and then after that, sorry, after this, we're going to talk about how, how, to, how it impacts our lives in the real. Like, how, how what it looks like, Christ's preeminence looks like in our lives. So, with this week, going into, we're in chapter, halfway into chapter 2. Uh, starting in, in, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Uh, and go ahead and uh, grab your notes, and, and we'll get started. So, the gospel is not good advice about what must be done, but good news about what was already done to make us right with God. See, the word legalism, while it doesn't appear in the Bible, 
is used to explain any time rules, regulations are added to earning or justifying one's right standing with God. Even genuine believers can fall prey to legalism. When we forget we, have, we already have our acceptance, significance, and security in the cross of Jesus. So to kind of tell you how we're going to go through this this morning, um, we're, going to, we're going to jump down to the bottom of the text and, and read those last two verses, and then we're going to go up back through it and explain how, this, how they all goes together. So starting with verse 16, in Colossians 2.16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So this first fill in the blank we're going to have is legalism concerns itself with being right. There's, uh, I put in your notes, uh, Luke, in chapter 18, there's a uh, story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. See, these, these two men, they were going into, Jesus was telling a story where these two men were in, the, going into the temple, and the Pharisee going in, standing off by himself, saying, thank God that I'm not like other men. Ex like extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or especially this tax collector that's over here, over here. List, then starts listing off the things that make him righteous. I, he fasts twice a week and gives tithes of all that he has. The tax collector, to juxtapose that, he says, when he, and then Jesus talks about the tax collector, and he says, ah, he's like not even lifting his head. So you get this idea that the Pharisee's standing there all proud. He's like, yes, and he's looking out over everybody. I'm glad I'm not like these people. Then the tax collector is over, kind of just praying, not even willing to lift his head up, saying, it's like, <clears throat> he says, God, be merciful upon me. I am a sinner. And Jesus says to the people that were listening to him, says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted so you can you can find someone worse than you it's pretty easy you can look out and you should be able to find somebody and if, and if you can't find someone worse than you you're probably in prison <laughs> and you're the worst which you're probably never getting out but, so we can always find someone worse. And it's this idea that we're concerned, this concern of being the right, doing the right things. Um, it was shared with me um, uh, yesterday that in some in current, event, current events, right now there's, there was a, a priest, Catholic priest, who resigned from his post because he was baptizing people using the wrong word. And apparently, according to uh, what was going on, it didn't count. So it like nullified their baptisms. As somehow that's possible. He used, I don't remember, he either used we or I or I or we. I don't remember. I think he used we and he should have used I. I baptize you. And he said, we baptize you. I'm like, what? Legals are like, they're so concerned, concerned with being right, getting the right words, the right things, doing all the checklists, showing up and like, well, I read my Bible today. I did, I follow all this list. I'm right. 
instead of understanding where we are in our, right, in our standing with God. Legalism also confuses, which is similar to this, like they were also confusing a, a, a secondary issue, the right word to use, with a primary issue, which is, is our next fill in the blank. It confuses primary with secondary issues. It gets them mixed up. They think those secondary things are the most important. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. So I was telling you um, last night when I was talking to everyone who was there, I was, I was reminding them that they were actually better than all of you because they were here on a Saturday, which is actually the Lord's Day. It's the seventh day and not a Sunday. But fortunately, I'm here for all of you uh, to point you in the right way. I'm completely joking. That's, that's insane. But, but that's that thing. We, we confuse what day or like, oh, no, you got to get the right day. You got to you know, right, wear the right clothes. I say the right word in the right prayer. No, it's about instead of this heart thing. I mean, I understand those rules. These are the rules that we take. They're good. They can be good rules. But we put them on top of God's rules so we don't break God's rules. So we set these little standards, these barriers, but then the problem isn't that. The problem isn't those rules. The problem is we expect other people to follow them. That we're telling other people, we're, we're, we're preaching our convictions instead of the commandments. There's nothing wrong with having a conviction to not do something. But it's when we make that the ultimate important thing is where it goes. It may, kind of dating myself in this. I was thinking about, like, what are, what are some things that have happened? Um, one happened before I was born, and that was where in the 60s they had the devil's music. Yes, there can be bad things. There's bad things in music, and you should be careful, and you should watch it and be discerning. But to make it all about that, it's all about, oh, you're listening to rock and roll, sinner. It makes me think of the church lady from like SNL and be like, oh, seriously, it's the devil. No, it's, we're, we're getting overly preoccupied with these rules. Or even, it makes me think, or, or even overly comp, uh, preoccupied with the devil in that sense. I mean, this, in the 80s, I grew up, I was a child of the 80s, and I remember distinctly the satanic panic. And how everybody thought that if you played cards or Dungeons and Dragons or maybe watch Disney that somehow you're going to join a satanic cult and murder people. Like, well, okay. Like, there's, we're, we just, these ad rules. Yes, murdering people is bad. But it's easy to say. But when we set these rules up in order to keep us from breaking God's rules and we're expecting everybody else to follow these, and if you don't, somehow you're not a Christian. I question your salvation. That's what we're going. Like, oh, you listen to, uh, you are listening to Led Zeppelin, you're probably not a Christian. And, and then going forward, it's like, it's all the way out to, you can even think of, um, like, yeah, even more recently, it's like Disney or, or, or even we had, I remember growing up not being able to, had friends that couldn't go trick-or-treating because Halloween, it's of the devil. Like, well, there's, there's bad things that we have to protect ourselves and have discernment. But it's not about the rules. It's about a relationship. And then another thing is, too, is when we're looking at, when we're looking at these rules that we're following, so we have these convictions, we have to be careful. 
not to preach them as commandments, is you look at them, what are they doing for us? Are they, are they helping, are they, are they puffing you up or are they building you up? Are they puffing you up over others or helping others know Christ? Which is our next uh, fill in the blank is legalism puffs up rather than builds up. Proverbs 3.34 Towards the scorners he is scornful but to the humble he gives favor. This is mentioned again in James 6, I'm sorry, James 4, 3, which is, and it said is, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. See, when we, when we make it all about these rules is we're, 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 we're trying to puff ourselves up, or, or we can be, that's a tendency. Where if you look at it and you're like, is this making me feel better than everybody? Or helping others see Christ better? And you have to be honest with yourself. Legalism, in this sense, is, is about keeping score. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, they're not as good as me because I did these five things and I made these checks. I went through and I read my Bible, I go to church, I do my small group, I pray with my family. I'm happy for you that you do all those things. Those are all good things. That's not how you get saved. That's not the path. That's not, like, and if it's not pointing you and making you closer to God, then you got to question what's going on and, and really look at your motives. So the next one is, so looking at all of these, all these things, really the core of legalism is that it replaces rules for a relationship with God. And that's your next, the next spot. So verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So there was, um, I want to tell a story about um, kind of legalism, how it can kind of creep in. You don't even think about it and how it's creeping in. My wife and I had the opportunity many years ago to visit uh, her family in Switzerland, which was, it was awesome. If I ever get a chance to go to Switzerland, if the world ever opens up and they let us over in Europe, um, go. It's beautiful. One of the cool things about Switzerland is the, uh, because they were able to avoid conflict in the world in world war one and two all of their buildings are beautiful and standing there's none of this like destruction from air raids and um so tons of these old churches uh one church we visited i was told it was burnt down he was like oh it burnt down they had to rebuild it I'm like cool uh when oh that's a bummer it was burnt down you rebuilt it uh when did it get rebuilt oh it was uh it was like 1543 I'm like come on bro like 15 that's an old church but one of the things that was cool was one of the churches, one of my favorite churches, is they, we visited a church called the uh, Grossmünster, which is Great Church in German. They're very literal with their naming. They just name things what they are. The Great Church, it's in Zurich. And the Ulrich Zwingli, a, a Swiss reformer, was the, one of the, the first like, big theologian pastor from a Protestant pastor that was of that church. And one of the things that... Um, I thought it was really cool. We visited, we looked, and the church is still going today. We couldn't visit his office because it was still being used by the current pastor, which is super neat. So this guy 500 years ago, and this church is still standing and still functioning, and they still have a congregation. And so they have this giant church. It's beautiful. And it's on this little river, 
And as you go down the river, there's this, uh, as we're going through the, the city, we stopped and my, um, my wife's uncle stopped us and said, hey, let's talk about this, this unassuming plaque that was on the side of the river. And this plaque said something, it, was, it, it basically, it was there to commemorate, to remember a time in the church of the Swiss Reformed Church's history that was not pleasant. See, in the early 1500s, they had a debate that they were going on, specifically with some of uh, Zwingli's top students were, were saying, you know what, uh, sprinkling on the head of children when they're, when they're born or like newborns for baptism is unbiblical and you need to get baptized as an adult and it needs to be full submersion. And they were arguing about this. And it's not just that they argued about it. This escalated to the point where the, the Swiss church executed all of these people. Because they disagreed about which is right. Is it, is it sprinkling on newborns? Is it just sprinkling in general? Or is it full submersion? They ended up drowning them. They said, oh, you want full submersion? We'll give it to you. Legalism. These people, both sides of this, they were, I, w- I would argue, like they were, they were authentic in their faith. They loved Jesus and they loved the word, but they made this about being right, about confusing a primary and a secondary issue, they, and, and, and also a relationship with God. They, they were all about themselves. They're all about, no, we got to get this right. It's super important that we don't mix these things up. I'm like, but you killed people for this. Other Christians, other Protestants. I mean, there's been wars between different groups. So like the Catholics and the Protestants and the Orthodox, the East Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And they've, they've been warring and fighting throughout this time. But this is the first time two, a, a group of Protestants were martyred by Protestants. They were murdered by Protestants for a secondary, what I would argue is a secondary issue. So we have to be, legalism can creep in even the most honest people, and the most genuine uh, people of faith can fall prey to legalism. So what is the answer to legalism? Easy. Well, it's easy, but it's hard. The gospel. Before, but as we're getting into this, I want to I kind of comment on the first word of verse 16. Therefore, so something to keep in mind when reading the Bible, or really reading anything, but specifically the Bible. When you're studying, you go, when you see a therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? And the answer is everything before it. So he, he, he's saying, hey, do you not, so he's going through, and he's like, yeah, you don't have to let, pe- don't pe- let people judge you on these things, because really, there's, they're, a sh- they're, they're a shadow of things to come. They are a substance belonging to Christ. It's about a relationship with him. And he says these things because of what he said before. Therefore, so going into that section, 
one, verse 13, the beginning of verse 13 is, and you were dead in your trespasses, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The gospel, first part of the gospel message is our condition before Christ. We were dead in sin. So we, we, we understand what it means to be dead versus alive. Uh, something that's kind of missed in our culture is the cultural religious significance of circumcision. I won't get into all of what that is. It's not a science class. We don't need to cover that. But I will from a, what, it was, what it symbolized, specifically in the Old Testament. When, you, when I was studying in this and I'm looking at, like, well, why did God cause it? Or like, what was the significance of circumcision? And it says in Genesis 17, 11, the first, first part of that is, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. God's saying this is a sign of the covenant between me and you. See, this, if we're uncircumcised, there is no covenant between us and God, our uncircumcised heart. And so he's, we, are, we are dead. And, he, and these, the, the people that were reading at the time, they would have known this. They would have seen them like, yeah, there's, there's no covenant. This is the covenant. This is, this is a symbol of this. This is like wearing this, a family crest or it says, it says significance. And I'm not. We are not in that relationship with God. So first we're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our condition before Christ. But next is awesome, God's part. And it's the gospel is what God has done. It is finished. That's the next part is what God has done. See that next part after he says that we're dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, it's, it's, it's not... This is a key point. It's not that we no longer have a ledger to pay or that the, the, or, or the balance was just like that there's no balance to, to be paid any longer. That's not it. The, it's that God paid the balance. So I want you to kind of think with me for a second. I want to imagine with me if you can. It's like we're, we're, you're at a restaurant with your family. It's a great time. And you're just, you're having a ball and uh, uh, celebrating either a birthday or a wedding or graduation. It's just, you're just having the best time and, and um, the food's coming. Everyone's, you know, full. Um, at, towards the end, everyone starts to leave and go to the car. And you, you're like, oh, don't worry, guys, I'll pay the bill. And you're sitting there, reach down. I forgot my, I forgot my wallet. Think about those feelings that you have. Can you imagine some of us. I, I know that I can imagine that feeling of not being able to pay at a restaurant, and you're sitting there and like, what can I do? Am I okay? No one's looking. I could probably sneak out. I could run. <laughs> I could steal. Essentially, I could steal from the restaurant. 
And I'm, I'm just toiled over this. I'm sitting, you're sitting there, and um, the owner of the restaurant walks up and, and says, uh, something, you're looking at this receipt, it's like something seemed to be something the problem or something I can help you with. And this shame you feel, and you're like, I can't, I can't pay this. I can't pay this bill. Let's do. And he, he could call the cops. He could uh, send you to the sink pit, work off your debt. But instead, this, this, the owner of the restaurant looks at him and goes, hey, man, I got you. Don't worry about it. Think about that feeling. It's like, ah, oh, the relief. No longer paid. And it's not that this restaurant owner, it's not free. He still had to, he still has to, he purchased the food. The food was purchased. The electricity to turn it on, the lights, the, the staff, the wait staff, the cooks, the cleaning. Those all come at a cost. And he paid it. And that's just dim in relation to what, uh, what God has done for us. But he paid it. It's not that it was free or that he just deleted it. It was paid for. It's important to understand that that has to say, like, it was paid. There was something to pay, and it was paid. And then our response to it is accepting it. The next, and, and having faith. That he, that he has forgiven us. The next one is, we are saved through faith. Our part. We're saved through faith, not by works, not what we've done, so that no one can boast. It's faith. It's accepting him. It's accepting that it was paid for us. You have to acknowledge that there's a balance to be paid. See, before Christ, there is a lot of red in our ledger. A lot of red. Way more than we can fathom. Currently, there's a, one of the big debates that's going on is, is how to handle school, how to handle this student debt that's, that's plaguing a lot of people. That they're just, they feel like they can never get out. In some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt or student loans, that they just can't pay. That is heavy. But when we really understand where we were before Christ, that weight is so much heavier. That is, it pales in comparison to the amount of, of debt that we owe. And it is, it is forgiven. It is paid. It was paid by the blood of Christ on the cross. And it's through faith in him that we're saved. So, that was, so we're dead. God made a way for us. He paid our debt. It's what he's done for us. We're saved through faith. And, then, and, th and in that, there's heart transformation that happens. So jumping to the first verse. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
made without hands. Not something people could do. This was a sign of the covenant going back. And, and this shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And it's God doing the work in our hearts. He's circumcising our hearts. It's not something that we're doing. We're not working to circumcise our own hearts to set ourselves apart. He's doing that. And it's important to know that, it's, that this covenant that we have, it's this, these following God's law, this circumcision in the heart, the following of God's laws is a sign of the covenant, not the covenant itself. The covenant was already fulfilled through Christ, the rule. So we know a covenant is a fancy, or is a, another word you could say for contract. So we have a contract where two parties are, have some level of obligation to fulfill. And, our con- and, and in our contract with God, it's we are required to live by a certain set of standards. Or somebody has to do that and pay the bill. And Christ has done that. So the, the contract has been fulfilled. The sign that the contract has been fulfilled is through, our, is through how we act and how God's working in our own hearts. And it's not being perfect and following the rules all the time. Because that's impossible, to be, to be frank. Because sometimes I'm Frank and not Russ. Sorry, that was dumb. <laughs> um, there was, but, it, but, it's, it, but it has to do with, it's this obeying out of love and, and not obligation. So it's important, the gospel, as a response to legalism, is it's our condition before Christ. We're dead. And then, and then Christ died on the cross for us. He paid the debt we could not repay. He, he paid off our debt. He didn't erase the red in our ledger. He paid for the red in our ledger, plus some. We would never be able to add into it. And it's only through faith in him. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So saved through faith. Then out of that comes heart transformation. We're not trying to earn it. We're trying to be with him. So we talked about legalism, what to do. The gospel about how it was done. Now we're going to do avoiding the trap of legalism. How do we keep legalism from encroaching on the truth of the gospel in our hearts? Because it does. It's our default mode is to be legalistic. It's so easy. In fact, um, this last week at my job, they, we, we covered the, what we call a leveling guide. Or it's like how to get promoted. So I have my list of rules or my list of responsibilities, and I do these things, and I have on my job. And then I, if I want to get promoted, I do these other things. It's another list of things. And it's great because I know what I need to do to move up. But that's not how the gospel works. There's no leveling guide. You don't level up in Christ. In fact, in it, the, the, the ground at the cross is level. I've heard, you've probably heard that same. It's, like it's, it's the same. We're all equal. There's no like JV and varsity Christians. There's no, yeah, oh, you know, that person, that, dude, that is not even, they're a water boy. There's no water boy Christians. There's just Christians. There's just followers of Christ. And so we like these rules. They're easy. Like our default is to that. How do we keep that from happening? What are things that we need to look out for to keep that from creeping in? See, even true believers 
can be legalistic. But we are instructed rather to be gracious to one another, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. It's in Romans 14.1. We, we are to, we're to come alongside and build up each other, not focusing on the rules. See, part of avoiding the trap is mixing up shame, the, the shame of sin versus our confidence in our identity in Christ. Shame, it's a little tongue-tied there. The shame of sin versus confidence in our identity in Christ. See, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ. There's, there's conviction. So when you sin, you, you, you feel convicted, but not condemned. See, one of the lies of Satan is to condemn us or accuse us. The word Satan means accuser or adversary. So that's his lie, that wanting you to be, feel accused and, and condemned, not convicted. See, the question is, when you're looking at this, if you're feeling bad about something, you ask yourself a simple question. Is it bringing me closer to God or driving me away from him? If it's driving, him, if it's driving you away from him, that's condemnation. That's not, it's, that's the opposite of what you should be finding in Christ. See, we all sin. We all fall short. But it should be drive, when we do, you go, oh, God, I'm a sinner. Save me, help me. And going back to him, running into his arms. Dad, hold me. I messed up. But if we're feeling shame and hiding, we're, mix, we're forgetting who we are, where I, our identity in Christ is. Another part in avoiding the trap is individual, individualism versus being the member of the body of Christ. In your notes, you'll cross out church and write Christ. There was a little typo on my part. I'll give you a second, but it's, uh, yeah, it's this individuality, this, this, this idea. I mean, we love our individuality and personal freedoms. Don't tell me how to live. You know, don't tell me, you know, I need this or I don't need that. But what we forget is that in Christ, as, a, as the body of Christ, we lose a little bit of that. And it feels wrong. It goes against this sinful nature that we have that we want to be me first. Self-preservation. Don't tell me how to live. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, even as one body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, 
we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's not the the Christian walk is not an individual sport. It's a team, it's a team thing. We do it as a group. And when we, we get this idea that we can do it on our own, this this we, I think we've all kind of heard it of, you know, I don't I don't need anyone. I'm like, I don't need anyone, I'm good. Or my faith is just between me and God. I don't, I don't have to share. Yeah, it's just between me and God. Or even this, this idea of tucking the cross. So we'll share with people that are Christians. We, have, we might know a Christian or two. We see them out and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And we, we have this little club. And then, but when I'm out in the world, I take the cross and I tuck it. I mean, I don't wear jewelry, but you get the idea. It's like it's, you're taking this, like, this thing that you would wear on the outside and you put it in and you hide it. Like, I, you know, because it's my own. Uh, faith between me and God. But it's, this, it's, it's forgetting that we are to die to ourselves. See, there's greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life for one's friends. And in that, I mean, it's very rare that any of our lives are going to be threatened, especially on a daily basis. But how does that look? It looks in giving up of being self-interested. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about serving others. And in that, it's like really, because this self-preservation, if you really get to a core, is I want, I'm worried about my own needs, my own needs being met. And when my, when I'm worried about this, I'm not capable of worrying about others. But the fact is, your needs have been met in the cross. Your sense of significance and security and hope for the future have already been met. And when you dwell in that, it's, it, you're able to die to yourself, to give of yourself to others. And that's, and that's part of being this, this church family and being together as a group, as the singular bride of Christ. It's not brides, it's bride singular. We're one group and we care for each other and others and want others to join our family. And next in avoiding the trap is knowing the letter of the law versus living the spirit of the law. See, Paul mentions that he, has, he says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I... I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Not all things, everything is lawful, but not all, everything is good. So this idea of knowing the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law is, it's asking this question. Where is the line? How far can I go before it's a sin? At which point does it become a sin? Or or what rules will I have to follow to not be sinning? Just so I make sure I get everything done. You know, I read my Bible. Showed up to church. Prayed with the family. I tithe. 10%. That's on the gross, not the net, because that's important. 
Yeah, because that makes me better than everybody else who doesn't. No. See, that's, like, we, we like to make these rules. Like, one of them is, is tithing. We like to make these rules. What is it? So what's the answer? Gross or net? You could beat your head. I'm like, I'm, you're, it says first fruits. And to be fair, Uncle Sam takes my first fruits. But it is what it is. Because I don't have a choice in that. But it's, it's like, where, where is it? Or uh, hearing stories like, hey, I have a, I have a if, if someone gives you a gift of 20 bucks, do you, like, oh, is it my birthday card this year? I got a $20 bill, yay. Uh, but I better tithe, $2. Don't forget, God will get you. Because you're a sinner. What? Like, you're, you're getting hung up on these, making sure you do everything right. Or, you know, worse yet, they give you a gift card. No! I don't even know what to do. Do I cut off part of it? I don't know. That's insane. But that's the problem. It's like we're making these rules, and they're burdening. They're just a burden. But instead, it should be with with tithing. It's It's a God loves a cheerful giver. When you get that raise, it's, I get to give more. I'm, I got a raise. I get to give more. And it's, and it's not, what is my dollar amount that I have to get to the penny? You're overly concerned with making sure your rules are checked. Or another one is, is alcohol. I can find verses that tell me alcohol is okay. I can, find alco- I can find verses that tell me it's bad. Which is it? The question is, that's not the question. How many can I drink before... I'm over the, over the scriptural legal limit. <laughs> like, oh, well, it's a point to you, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, whatever the number is. Like, that's the wrong question. Or, you know, because, because I'm a larger Christian, I can drink more. <laughs> no, you're, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's not, it's, there's two things here with that. It's one, is it drawing you closer or further away from God? Is it getting in the way? So we, when we look at these rules, tithing or alcohol or, you know, speeding or anything, like these rules, we just make these things, is it drawing you to God or driving a wedge between you and, them, when you and him? And also in that, is it, is it causing other people to sin? If it is, why are you holding on to this, whatever it is? It could be anything. I, I occasionally like playing video games. But I also know that I shouldn't stay up super late playing video games because then I don't sleep and then it ruins my day. Or Netflix. It's super easy to all of a sudden binge. Next thing you know, five hours have gone by and... I know I've already seen every episode of The Office, but I really want to watch them all for the 17th time. No, like, it, there's nothing wrong with watching it. There's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. But it's, are they driving, are they keeping you from Christ? That's the important thing. Are they, are they keeping you from a relationship with the Creator? In, in that, like, we know, in order to get to know God, we, we read his word. But it's part of this trap that we have to be careful with is to be overly concerned with knowledge. 
It's the next fill in the blank. Overly concerned with knowledge versus loving God and loving others. Corinthians, it says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And if anyone loves God, he is known by God. When asked about the two greatest, the greatest commandments, Jesus said it was to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others, to love him and to love others. Now, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with knowledge. Knowing things is good. In fact, in order to be able to follow God's laws, you have to know God's laws. But, but knowing the Greek, the, the Bible is, you know, you can, it's in Greek and Hebrew and, and various other things. I'm not, that I don't, you know, overly concerned with knowledge. See, I'm already better. That's good. <laughs> but, but it's, knowing the Greek will not help a single mom pay rent. It will not comfort those are mourning over a lost job or a death in the family. It won't come alongside and help people and feed them and clothe them. You could know these things. There's nothing wrong with knowing the word poema. See, I do know some Greek. means workmanship. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't, it doesn't help you serve. Not inherently. That said, knowing and obeying God's word is important. And so we have to be weary of junk philosophy versus knowing and obeying God's word. For there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12. Um, in our world today, and you see it a lot on like social media and the memes and the feel-good memes, scrolling through Instagram, um, those things that, you can do it, you're the best. You're the hero that you've always been looking for. Or, um, you know, or the, you don't define, I wrote down a few, um, you don't define love, love defines you. Whatever that means, these deepisms, these things that sound deep, or have faith in faith. Faith ain't going to save you. Faith in Christ will save you. It's super key to not get that mixed up. Or, and I had mentioned it, it's like, we even said this, my faith is just between me and God. It's this, it's this personal thing. It's okay. You don't have to share it. What? I think you're supposed to. I read the Bible, and it says to tell others. Or love wins. Love wins. I mean, it does. That's true but not the way they tend to mean it. Love wins in the sense that we were dead in our sin. Christ came and died for us, paid that debt, and through a relationship with him, we're saved. Like believing and, and following him, confessing with our mouths, believing in our hearts, we're saved. And then he transforms our lives. And, he, and that is how love wins, not in the way that everybody is going to heaven automatically by default. 
It's Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. So we have to be careful not to mix those junk philosophies up with knowing and obeying God's word. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The only defense against that is to be close to God, to be close to the bigger lion. The next part of uh, avoiding the trap is really the, the gist of it, and that's legalism versus the cross. I wrote WWJD next to legalism. Uh, I do remember those bracelets. I had one for a long time. They were really cool. Made me look super tough and Christian. I mean, I don't know if tough and Christian go together, but I think they do, so I'm sticking with it. (laughs) However, that's all about doing, doing what Jesus would have done, acting like Jesus. A lot of people can act like Jesus and not have a relationship with him. There's a lot of good, good people who are atheists. Genuine, they care for others. They do all the things that Jesus would have done. But it's not about that. It's about the cross. And that acronym that I have there, W, I'm sorry, RWJD, remembering what Jesus did. What he did. And out of that, out of that joy, out of that fulfillment, Following him becomes way easier. And because it's not about the rules. We're following out of love instead of obligation. So in in avoiding this trap, the things that we watch out for is, is mixing up shame, not having the shame of sin, but understanding what our our confidence, having confidence in our identity in Christ. Individualism. Versus being the member of the body of Christ, the church. We're putting others, when when our needs are met, we can put others' needs in front of our own. Being overly concerned with getting the right answer. Overly concerned with knowledge. You can actually even look at this overly concerned with knowledge thing. And look back to that first, that story that was recent. Where they were concerned about the right word to use in the baptism. I mean, I honestly would argue that it wasn't in Latin, so none of it counted forever, I guess, because it was originally Latin. See, they're just, we're making these rules up and like making them, and we're overly concerned with getting it right, as opposed to loving God, what is loving to God and, and others, loving God and loving others, getting sidetracked by these junk philosophies that while they might satisfy you initially, they end up leading to death. And it said we we should know and obey God's word. And in that, we put off this idea of legalism and take on the idea of the cross. So with legalism and the cross, it's, it's not a pendulum swinging. Over Christmas, we talked about, um, did a uh, quick series on the prodigal son story. And in that we have the very beginning, the, the younger son is pursuing everything his heart desired. And he found it to be empty. And he came back to the father. But on the other side of that, we had the elder son who had been with, with his father the whole time and was never actually with him. 
And so there's this thing where we, sometimes we start out in this, this pursuing our heart's desires and everything we want, and we swing hard in order to compensate for that, and we become, like the elder son, a legalist. And the issue is, neither one is the answer. This is pendulum swinging back and forth, and that's our tendency, and it's not about finding the middle. It's about cutting the rope altogether. It's the gospel. It's not anything we're doing on this. We have to forget about the things that we're doing and go to him. It's, it's our condition. See, if, it's about what, if it wasn't about our condition, we, we could like figure out a way to kind of hang out in the middle and find that pen. Stop swinging, we, we're good. But it's our condition. We're not capable of doing that. And then because of what Christ has done on the cross, we're able to cut that rope. He cuts the rope for us. It says, hey, I gotcha. Believe in me. And it's through faith that we're saved. And then he makes us new creations. For the old has gone and the new has come. And that's, that's the hope. That's the fight against legalism. It's not about being more liberal or legalist against legalism because that's a thing that happens. But focusing on him and not worrying about how others view us. So if you want to join our family and then just want to be ask for forgiveness and ask God to be like, hey, make me right with you tonight. I just, I encourage you, if you want to come talk to me or talk to somebody else, I encourage it. Uh, at the end, um, I'll be up here in any available elders to pray with you. And uh, ultimately, I just pray that you fight with ver vigor to keep legalism out, to pray God that help, God help us to keep that, this legalism out. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you today unable to add anything to what you have already done for us. And we ask you to make that real in our hearts. Make it real, the love you have for us, that we would not fall into the lies of our accuser, but trust in your sacrificial love as our redeemer. You have redeemed us, Lord. That we would not be tempted in, to try in vain to add anything to your work, but to trust you for everything, and then our focus, and our focus be our relationship with you. For without you, we have nothing. But with you, God, we have everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.